You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Mariners Pod. Thanks for being here. Mariners and Dodgers last night. We'll touch on that. Mariners and Dodgers again tonight. We'll talk about that. Also coming up, Aaron Goldsmith and I had a chance to catch up with Mariners Assistant General Manager Justin Hollander. It's a really interesting conversation, a lot of minor league stuff along the way. I think you'll enjoy it. So that comes up in a few minutes. But, well, let's talk about last night. That one was tough. Uh, A lot of things went right for the Mariners. Of course, facing Walker Bueller, one of the best there is. And they did some damage swatting three home runs against him. That's only the third time that's happened to him. In his entire career, the Mariners put four runs on the board in seven innings against Bueller. Bueller from the belt and the pitch to Seeger. Swung on and belted high in the air and deep to right field. Betts going back to the one track in the corner, and this one is gone. Goodbye, baseball. A towering two-run home run off the bat of Kyle Seeger. His seventh home run of the year. Second home run off of Walker Bueller tonight. And the Mariners now lead the Dodgers by a score of 3 to nothing. On top of that, Yusei Kikuchi was really good. In fact, he pitched even better than his final line. A career-high 11 strikeouts. Noisy's ready, and so is Kikuchi as he comes set at the belt. The 1-2 pitch. Fastball down low, swung on and missed by Noisy, and he's gone. That's a career-best 11 strikeouts for Yusei Kikuchi. And that's only the second time this season a pitcher has got the Dodgers for 11 or more punch outs. Sonny Gray got him for 11 earlier this season as well. Not an easy team to punch out, but Kikuchi was on his game, but the wheels would fall off in the seventh inning. Dodgers get two in the seventh to get within one. And then in the eighth inning, a big, big home run would decide this one. And here's the pitch on the way, swinging a high fly ball into right field and deep. Hanniger going back to the one. He tracked to the wall. Goodbye, baseball. Gavin Lux with a three-run home run with two outs here in the bottom of the eighth inning. And the Dodgers now have the lead, 6-4. to four. So a game they had, the bullpen blows it, and the Dodgers win 6-4. to four. Heck of an effort uh, tonight by Yusei Kikuchi again. Um, he continues to just get better and better and, and build. You know, as the season goes along, but you know, uh, against that lineup, really aggressive, uh, really good stuff. Uh, they get 11 punch outs tonight, uh, and he did it with all different pitches. So, uh, heck of an outing uh, by him. Unfortunately, we weren't able to to lock it down there. So, uh, you know, Hanny had a big night, uh, a couple of homers. Um, you know, Seegs was the big one there. I thought we had enough uh, to hold him off, but uh, the seventh inning got us tonight. You know, they put a couple up there. They got, you know, some some big two-out hits tonight, too, um, which which we couldn't really, you know, finish off those innings. So, uh, tough loss, and, and you know, you say certainly deserved a uh, better fate tonight because he, he pitched certainly well enough to, to win that game for us. But uh, I'll take questions. Scott, what have you seen from Miz? I think this is three out of four outings where it just hasn't been as crisp. It looked like he couldn't spot the breaking ball the night the way he wanted to. Yeah, his cutter was off a little bit. Certainly, you know, the walks the first hitter. Uh, I thought he really battled through, a, obviously, a, a tough at-bat with uh, bats and, and got him. Uh, you know, Seager's, uh, you know, very aggressive and just didn't get the breaking ball maybe out away from him enough. So, uh, um, you know, Miz has been very consistent uh, really from the beginning of last year. 
just you know, location hasn't been quite as consistent, uh, you know, just with the cutter. Um, that's always kind of been his go-to pitch, and it hasn't been quite as consistent here the last couple of times out. With Montero, a couple of times we've seen this year where he gets to two outs, and it just seems like that third out is just so difficult for him to get. Yeah, I thought he's throwing the ball great. Certainly a big strikeout of Turner, um, you know, with the fastball. His fastball had a lot of life tonight. And then, you know, get two relatively quick outs there in the eighth. And, you know, uh, you know Taylor puts a tough at bat out. Um, you know, the 0-2 hit by pitch, certainly, um, you know, the free bases uh, hurt there to, to put you in a rough spot, uh, you know, and bring up, you know, Lux. And we made a mistake right in the middle of the play. So, uh, again, uh, you know, our bullpen has been so good uh, all year long. Um, you know, thought they were going to, have enough to hold them down tonight. Uh, just couldn't, couldn't get out of the eighth there. It, it, like you said, they've been so good. Is that what you – they've been so good as when they do have hiccups like this, it seems a lot more magnified because they haven't had it. Oh, really? No, they've been, they've been locked down really, really solid. Uh, you know, and, and it's been driven by, you know, controlling the count. You know, we've been ahead in most counts tonight. The guys weren't quite as sharp. Uh, and, and the Dodgers are very patient. They're going to make you throw strikes early. And when you get behind, certainly that's when they do their damage. No, sorry about that. It's loud over here. Uh, let, me see if can, let me see if we can get it in. Uh, Mitch Honiger, silver lining in the game. Um, how oh, reassuring. How reassuring is it to see him come together at the plate? Oh, Mitch, Mitch is having a uh, great start to the season. Uh, phenomenal game tonight against a really you know, high-quality pitcher. Uh, got on the fastball and then, you know, turned around a breaking ball a little bit later. So um, he looks great, uh, you know, working his tail off and, and looks like he always has. So really excited about the start that he's had to our season. Scott, do you do anything different with your setup, guys? I know you don't want to be reactionary to a moment or anything like that, but – do you look for a low leverage for Miz moving forward or anything like that, or maybe switch up some pockets that you normally go to? You know, uh, maybe. I think, you know, Miz, like I said, is, is he's been our guy. You know, we, we go to him, we trust him. Uh, typically he's got, you know, weapons to get through some righties, but, you know, left on left, he's a good option there too. So um, certainly try to put guys in positions to have success and then, you know, let them go out and do their thing. But, you know, it happens throughout the course of the season. Maybe he stubbed his toe a little bit here the last couple of times. We still – believe in him you know he's been really really good and he doesn't back off you know he's a competitor he'll keep going right after him so the Mariners try and even this series just as they did a couple weeks ago when these teams met last time they split a brief two-game series but it's not going to be easy in that series Urias dominated and that's who they are facing again tonight Justin Dunn will get the ball and this is a tough matchup for Dunn of course he has control issues from time to time and the Dodgers just a team that hardly ever goes out of the zone to swing at pitches. So Dunn's going to have to be on his game to keep the Mariners close in this one as they try and even things up. Then they return home against Cleveland and Detroit. We'll talk much more about that coming up later this week on the podcast. In the meantime, why don't we start with Justin Hollander? And we recorded this last week just after the minor league seasons got underway. Well, Justin, it is always great to see you. I know uh, this time of year is – 
man, you are as busy as anybody, as busy as Jerry, but it's kind of you to uh, stop by the booth for a little bit, man. It's great to see you. It was an easy walk across the hall, so <laughs> I, I found some time. It's hard for us to get most people across that hall, so <laughs> we're glad we were able to bait you somewhere or the other. Hey, uh, the Mariners uh, have a prospect named Jared Kelnick. I've heard of him. And on Thursday, I don't think you saw this. Um, <laughs> on Thursday, what happened? He made his. He actually made his Triple A debut. He actually hit a couple of home runs. This is all new information. I know. For me. I know. You, you didn't see any of it or hear any of it. I, 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 I thought that I might break the news softly to you but that seems like a really great thing for jared kelnick what do you think about that it's great for him it's great for <laughs> us um, um it was it was actually awesome i was texting with jerry and scott last night actually and uh, not just with jk but the whole system being able to flip back and forth between you know three different games at once as we got into like the seven eight o'clock hour uh it was it was awesome to see we had emerson hancock going on one screen we had jared kelnick hitting bombs and cal raleigh hitting bombs on the other screen Noeve Marte uh, ripping a double down the line, and it was all within like a half hour of each other that things were happening. That's great for Mariner fans, That the kind of future impact that we think we have on the farm. And obviously I was really pumped for J.K. to get off to that kind of start in AAA uh, and just sort of announce his presence right away in Tacoma. It was so cool. I was thinking about that day, the off day for the Mariners, and just all this is happening all at one time. And it reminded me of a comment uh, Scott Service was talking about it the other day when Fletcher was brought up, how – you know, he was asked about Fletcher, and he clearly hasn't seen Fletcher. He's been pitching at, uh, at the alternate site, so he hasn't seen him. And he talked about trusting the staff and the reports that he's getting. And it made me think big picture. What are the processes, especially in the minor league system, about evaluation and that kind of thing when, when guys get moved up or evaluating that kind of thing? The, the big picture uh, view of that. Sure. So we have our internal ba database, uh, which is called Trident, which uh, is the sort of the, the housing spot for all of our information, whether it's subjective information, pure game reports, or objective information, trackman data, statcast data, um, and, you know, pitch types, pitch velocity, break, all that stuff. So we have all that infor information. And then every morning, the next morning after games, uh, we get a series of reports, game reports, uh, what we call our rake and shove reports, mm -hmm. uh, which are our detailed information on obviously the, the offensive and, and pitching side. Uh, and one of the additions we made this year is sort of adding video overlay to our, our hitting and pitching reports. So wow. one of the big benefits for, for us in the front office and even the scouting and PD groups is the next day for whatever you didn't see or if you want to go back and watch what you did see is to go watch the overlays of what happened and sort of the data that lines up with it. You know, usually it comes out about 12 hours after the game or so. So every minor league game that's happened, I've been able to watch all of the pitching performances so far this year uh, in a condensed version overlaid with our information on top of it. Where was the pitch? How much did it break? What was the, our, you know, what we call our action score uh, on the pitch? And obviously, was it a well-executed pitch based on the pitcher's strengths? Uh, so those are really cool. You can do the same thing with the, the position players. You can see the, the exit velo and the launch angle, where the pitch was. Did it line up with, with, their, hot, with their hot zones? Was it a good swing decision? Um, and those are just additive things that uh, our baseball projects group, David Hesselink and Alex Littman and Emily Curtis, have, have put together this year uh, that really help our process of, of understanding was it a luck result? Was it a you know an unlucky result? Um, what was the process like? How are we evaluating to make good decisions on promotions? To make good decisions on real performance as opposed to you know what I would just call baseball things that happen in a game that maybe it's no one's fault uh, versus a, a true skill development that we're looking to, to see. 
Do you get, uh, does the play-by-play get clipped on those as well? Is that nope. part of it? No play-by-play, but I'll talk to the group and see if we can add it. <laughs> and I'm then evaluate the play-by-play. Yeah, play. exactly. We'd best. like to know what Trident says about that as well. Maybe we don't. Maybe actually. we don't. Yeah. Maybe yeah. we'll get a, uh, a Goldie and Gary soundboard. And it'll oh, just that'd be, be a fantastic. series of yes. buttons yeah. we can push that uh, overlay. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I think. That, that just happened. It does. <laughs> uh, no doubt about it. I think. Uh, there's, I think there's room for growth there, Justin. You guys get, you guys do improve in some form, as we just heard you say, every year, and I think this is the next step. One percent better every week. All right, <laughs> I think we are, our- we are at least one percent. <laughs> I mean that that sounds amazing, it really. And I think about in terms of minor league evaluation and how far it's come oh in a short period of time, or seemingly a short period of time. I remember uh, early on in my baseball career, we so we were looking to find additive things, um, but we didn't have the ability to objectively measure it. So we would have the coaches like pluses or minuses for hard hit and soft hit. And like that was one of my jobs in the office was to create a template for that, track it when the staff sent them in every day by hand. So I just have kept this Excel spreadsheet and then eventually we incorporated it into our game reports and, you know, worked with IS, and this is—it makes it sound like it's 70 years ago. <laughs> it was like 15 years ago. That's that—that's the route we had to go. Was truly subjective. Did he hit it hard or not? Uh, wow. And so, like, we—we've come a long way, uh, and it makes a big difference. I think for our players too, because they can go look. Mm. That was a strike. I swung at the right pitch. That was a ball. Uh, I made a bad decision on that one. It's a 2-0 count. That wasn't what I was looking for. Uh, and I think our players really embraced that part of the process. Is seeing where they rank in the reports night to night and how they got there. Did I make good decisions? You know, I hit the ball hard four times. I was 0 for 4. That's not – it's a good night. Like, I, I did what I'm supposed to do. I controlled the controllables. Justin Hollander, Mariners assistant general manager, is our guest. Since we, you brought up a hard hit, uh, hard hit rate, uh, hitting the ball hard in general, uh, Don Mattingly had a really awesome quote recently that I, I think sparked uh, a lot of thinking about the notion of hitting the ball hard. He said, just because you hit the ball hard – does not mean you are a good hitter, which I interpret that as absolutely. Like, you could annihilate the ball, but if you do it once a week, it's of no value, right? So the question becomes, A, where is the perfect marriage for each individual player between contact and hard hit, right? And because hitting the ball hard makes you a better hitter because it results on average in more hits, how do you as an organization teach hitting the ball hard? I mean, those, those two things seem very critical in development. Yeah, I think the perfect balance is Mike Trout, and we all work from there. <laughs> um, I, uh, I think it is a true statement, uh, and I also think it requires nuance before people like dive in and say, oh, it's, I guess it's not important to hit the ball hard. It's, you know the best bowler isn't who can throw the ball down the lane the hardest. Um, the best bowler is who can throw it most accurately and at a speed at which, like, you know, like I, you can send a three-year-old out there with bumpers and they throw it really slow and they might hit it in the perfect spot and none of the pins get knocked down. So if you hit it harder, you have more room for error. Um, and, you know, finding that balance, it's different for everybody. Evan White hits the ball really hard on when he's when he's going well. He will have more room for error and I, I'm not going to name another player on our team who's at West Harbor. Well, almost we, anybody the else. The guy that we, since we just saw the Angels, David Fletcher came yeah. to our mind. Yeah, right? it's a perfect example. Like, you know, the, the old cliche, he's a magic wand. You know, he's a hit mm-hmm. collector. You know, he makes a ton of contact, uh, and he has a natural feel to spray the ball all over the field. Uh, you, know, he's, he, you know, he's a hit collector. Nick Madrigal from the White Sox is like this. Guys who never swing and miss have more room for error on exit velocity than someone like a Giancarlo Stanton or a Mike Trout who hit the ball incredibly hard but will swing and miss more. 
So it's all a sliding scale for every player. You know, Ty France is somewhere someone that's really interesting to think about in that context. He hits the ball hard, but not mega hard. Mm-hmm. Somebody like a Trout or a Stanton or a Judge. He doesn't swing and miss much, but it's not the extreme level of like a Madrigal or a David Fletcher. He has like a nice array of high quality hitting skills that make him a good hitter without being a superstar in any one of those skill sets. And that's sort of the type of player that I think in trade you would like to target because if you turn the dial a little bit on any one of those skills, you have a, a really interesting player now. Did oh. I just give away a secret? You looked at me like I just gave away a secret. No, like, I, I, being good at everything <laughs> is, a, is an industry secret. <laughs> <laughs> it made me think, like, is it possible to turn the dial and not compromise something else? How old is the player? Uh, is I think is in how much experience do they have? I think you know training age is really important in that context. Kyle Lewis is someone that's interesting to think about in that context because Kyle is not twenty one or twenty two. He also didn't play very much in the minor leagues. You know, it's, it's three years at Mercer, um, and then he comes to Everett is has a knee injury, has fairly sporadic playing time in the minor leagues. He doesn't have the 1,500 minor league plate appearances o- over several seasons that are consecutive. So his training age may be lower than somebody of a similar age. Um, you know, you think about that in the context of, like, um, trying to think of other, you know, quick-to-the-big-leagues young players, you know, Juan Soto, um, who, you know, when he came to the big He's leagues... got a lot to work on. Yes. <laughs> was more of, like, honestly, if you go look at Juan Soto's track record, it's not like gaudy exit velo but he was 19 years old in the big leagues. Um, and so, like, you look at what he was doing age for level was incredible. And now you look at, you know, his his data, his, his underlying data, and it's off the charts good. You know, he was doing something at an age that no one else has really ever done. Um, so context really matters for those players. I was thinking a lot about your bowling comp. I thought that yeah, was – Was that our first bowling comp? I e- think so. Like, ever. Yeah. Yeah, I'm period. from the Midwest, so you get a lot of bowling and darts <laughs> comps. <from me. laughs> that was really great. I, you know, I, when I think about the science of baseball, to me, it is so much on the pitcher side right now. When you're talking about pitch shaping and and increased velo and everything, are there things that can be unlocked by hitters as things advance? I already gave away the secrets on how to trade for players <laughs> earlier. Um, I think there are. Um, I think that, you know, stance, posture, mm-hmm. um, core strength, um, you know, elasticity in terms of how your body moves, you know, really like the, 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 um, the I guess, the uh, the finer points of biomech and how so the Mitch body Hanager. moves. So Mitch Hanniger. Yes. Um, and, you know, Mitch is... Mitch is someone that you know spends a lot of time working out uh, in unique ways to strengthen you know muscles in his body that most people don't realize they have. Um, you know the private academy uh, hitting uh, scene I think is an area where players have found themselves you know working on creating more exit velocity, working on creating a, a better feel for the barrel. Um, you I do think you can increase top end exit velo. You know they have heavier bats and lighter bats, underweighting and overweighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 exercises that you can use. Austin Nola actually was a big believer in it, and he did it in an age that players typically don't get better, and he got better. He got stronger. Uh, he, he gained more bat speed. He gained more power at you know in his late twenties, early thirties. Very interesting. Hey, uh, when you start uh, looking at the minor leagues right now for the Mariners, you mentioned Emerson Hancock. I can't tell you how happy I was to see Emerson Hancock pitch because Gary and I have interviewed him a dozen times, <laughs> <laughs> and he hadn't pitched. <laughs> and quite frankly, 
We didn't have anything else to ask him. Uh, how was Emerson Hancock's Mariners debut? Really good. Um, uh, I, I think he was up to 98. It was a disgusting changeup. That he really didn't use a ton. I think that you know he wasn't trying to take the quote unquote easy way out. Uh, I think he could roll through a ball just throwing fastball changeup. Um, you, know, you know, moving the fastball around. I think the most impressive thing, and I was talking to Andy McKay about it earlier today, with Emerson with Levi Stout is the way in which they pitch is so different than players at that typical level of experience. Um, they can locate all th- through all the quadrants. They mix pitches like major leaguers and. It's, it's hard to quantify, except you know it when you see it. Like, Emerson is, is moving the ball around the zone last night in a way that hitters at that level are just not used to. And some of that comes from pitching in the SEC for three years, and some of that comes from Emerson just being a naturally gifted strike thrower. It's so easy for him to move the ball around, and he does it at such a high velocity. And really, we saw a lot of that from Levi Stout this week as well. Uh, he was up to 98 with four real pitches, um, and you just don't see that at the A-ball levels very often. Um, and I hadn't ever seen Levi Stout pitch either. It's another guy that we had drafted. He had Tommy John. Um, I've never seen him pitch until the other night, uh, and it was it was great to see those guys on the mound and really doing what they do at such a high level. I think that they are telling you that, that they have a, a finer understanding of their craft than most people at that inning level of experience. You've been doing this for a long time. What can you say about the Everett rotation in general? <laughs> <laughs> it is the best A-ball rotation in terms of pure talent that I've ever encountered as for the team that I'm working for. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are teams that, you know, other you know, I've only worked for two teams and there are I'm sure other rotations that would comparably compare just pure talent and upside that I'm not thinking of. Um whether it was with the Angels or here, the, that is the best group of starting pitching prospects that I've ever been around at one affiliate. And I say that, you know, when I think it was in 2010 in the Midwest League when I was with the Angels, they had Richard Skaggs and Corbin all in the rotation for a brief period of time uh, at their Midwest League affiliate. This this group is as talented and deeper than that group. This is it, it is a crazy talented group. You know, if you think about it from a, a Mariners standpoint, Scott said the other day that the pitching right now in this organization is the best collection of minor league arms that he has ever seen, which is a big statement from Scott, uh, given the length of time that he's spent in the game and the fact that he was a farm director in a, at the time, a really loaded Rangers system. Mariners fans obviously remember the days of Holson and Paxton and Walker. Uh, Brandon Maurer came in on, mm-hmm. on the tail end of that as well and made the rotation out of camp going from double A to the big leagues. But, man, when, when you start looking at even just the big names of the first rounders, yep. right? That the Mariners have taken in the last three drafts um, is maybe the reason why it's not getting as hyped, uh, simply because we haven't seen the pitch for so long. I think that, and I want to preface that Scott is much, much older than me, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> he he has seen more than me. But I do remember. Should we tell him that you said that? <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, I do remember a conversation that Scott and I had when he was working in the front office in Anaheim, and he said, "You know that you are on the right track." developmentally organizationally when every night in the minor leagues all the rotations have real guys that you're you don't have fillers jammed in all through mm-hmm. the all through the rotations that you have major league prospects across all the rotations at all the full season affiliates uh we're getting there where it's and i do think that's the reason it's not getting hype. we just haven't seen them yet. right you know we're talking about one turn through the rotation at one affiliate at this point um i think once we get a couple times through and the just the physical stuff uh starts you know making it you know a uh, if you want to pass news through baseball, just tell a scout, um, and they'll tell everybody else. Uh, I think as as more scouts get in the ballpark, as you as they start 
um, having more performance on the board, you will start hearing more about that rotation. And really our rotation at, at Modesto as well, um, where there's another group of what we think are impact young arms as well. Uh, really, really excited um, to see what they do as they get through the rotation. I know I got a text from a scout after uh, Levi Stout's outing and then a, a text from another front office employee after Emerson's outing. Like, geez, take it easy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it was, uh, it's very exciting. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how it plays out through the year. How challenging – we've talked about managing pitching at the major league level and all the challenges that are coming this year, uh, maybe even more so in the minor leagues, given how many guys just didn't throw last year or didn't throw a lot last year. How big of a challenge is this year managing pitching in general? It's a bigger challenge than I'm equipped for. Uh, it's not an area that I would feel super strong about stamping as an area of expertise for me. Max Wiener, Trent Blank, mm -hmm. um, the, the pitching group in our organization, Rob Marcello, Sean McGrath, they all contributed to that discussion over the winter and, and did a great job mapping everything out. Um, obviously, the most important thing is developing those players and doing it in a healthy, safe way. Uh, and they spent a ton of time dating back to summer camp and alt site and instructionally last year. Like this wasn't something that started in January. This started in May of last year, mapping out how we were going to handle this season, knowing, and that was even like before we drafted Emerson or this year's draft class, uh, but mapping out how we were going to handle the deload and then the, I don't know if reload is the right word, but like adding the innings back on after missing a full season. And they've spent a ton of time on it. I think they've done a great job. Justin, man, it is always great to see you. Uh, we appreciate you coming across the hall into the booth and hanging out with us for a little bit. Uh, en enjoy your time getting around uh, Tacoma and Everett, watching all these young players play. And, uh, man, we look forward to the next time you can swing by. Can't wait. Thanks, guys.